Sorry, assholes, your quiet day at the office is about to get severely fucked up. Guys, welcome back to the After Action Review. You know me. I'm Nick Guy, the world's most okayest Green Beret. And with us tonight, we have Kurt Carpenter. And we're going to do things a little bit different tonight. While we generally have uh, the military side on the program, uh, specifically soft, or in the past we've had agency dudes, I wanted to bring in another perspective. And Kurt here is a career Leo, and he spent the majority of his career, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, the majority of your career with uh, Special Weapons and Tactics, correct? Yeah, SWAT stuff, yeah. Okay, so spent the majority of his career with SWAT, but you guys know, you know, if, if you're following me on Twitter, you know we talk Kit all the time. We've never really talked Kit on the cast, so I kind of wanted to switch things up, talk Kit, and Kurt here has had the benefit of being around longer than I have. So he's seen a, a, a development of Kit over a few decades, correct? Yeah, yeah, I guess 34 years in, in the uh, in LE, so yeah. I've okay, seen a couple so, things come. So this is a perfect opportunity to talk Kit, some, talk to somebody that has seen it from, from the very dark ages up to, you know, the current. Uh, Kurt retired back in, in 2018 so he's pretty much where where kit has uh developed up until now so this is a great opportunity and kurt thanks so much for coming on brother oh, no problem man uh you know you're the okayest green beret and i'm kind of the okayest national guardsman <laughs> perfect well let's just start off let's just start off with with your with your with your career i'm i'm looking in the back corner and i see the stats in right yeah. off the bat yeah, I did 24 years in Army National Guard, uh, all conventional side, um, and you know, did a couple couple years and a half in tanks, and then uh, eventually went to the, the state mech battalion, and uh, did a little bit of time in the anti-tank platoon, and then from there I went to the scout platoon, and so I've been I was scout platoon sergeant until uh, until I retired. Okay, so on the flip side of that, so you had your 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 guard career, but on the, on the other side, you had your Leo career. And how'd you kind of get started in that? Yeah, so um, I was actually at, uh, at BNOC uh, with the guard and uh, met a guy that was a Birmingham cop. He said, hey man, we're about to give the test. And uh, I said, yeah, okay. Cause I wouldn't do anything. I was a kid, you know, I wasn't like 21 or something. So he said, we're, we're about to give the test. You want you to take it? And I said, sure. He said, yeah. and he was also telling me about this, this new cool shooting stance that they were learning. It's called the Weaver. And so, uh, so I was like, <laughs> what, uh, so j just for my edification, what year was this? Uh, this was 82. Okay. Sounds about right for Weaver. Yeah. So I met Danny in 82. And so I, I took the test and I got hired. Um, and I got hired by the city of Birmingham and, and spent, uh, seven years there. 
Um, and uh, three of those seven years, I, I got attached or got attached. I got assigned to the tactical unit, which uh, encompassed uh, motorcycles, mounted patrol, i.e., horses, um, freeway patrol, and then new guys would kind of go into a task force. We'd, we'd ride projects and do do trouble stuff. And then their 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 other mission was the ta was tactical unit. So the other mission, everybody was SWAT. So everybody had their little day-to-day -day specialties and then you went to SWAT school and, and so you got into SWAT and you you either went um, you started in perimeter of course you had to build build your way up start on perimeter team then you kind of worked in specialty snipers negotiators or entry and so that's kind of what I fell up on the on the entry side of the house so uh, I did I did entry stuff there and then I left that agency and that agency about 700 folks at that time, it's probably around a thousand now, and so I went to a smaller agency, and uh, and so that that particular agency, uh, city of Hoover, just south of Birmingham, uh, now has 170. Back then, it had like there's less than 80 of us, so they were just standing up their team. So I had come from a long-standing SWAT team, and the Birmingham Tactical Unit had been around since the 70s, the early 70s, and it, and so and I was going to a team that was just forming, which was kind of cool, you know, to be kind of be involved in that. So they were just forming their team, formalizing stuff. And I kind of got involved in that and I wasn't selected. I was kind of like a walk on. So, uh, so we, we uh, started, started working with them and got placed on the team. And so I spent 27 years at that place. And of that 27 years, probably, I guess, probably uh, 25 and a half of it was doing SWAT for those guys. And oh, so, wow. But yeah, so we, we, uh, we, you know, I got to see from uh, 83 when I got hired by the city of Birmingham, from, from 87 to 2018, I was, I was doing SWAT stuff just about with a, with a short break while that team was forming. At my okay. Day. So going back, <clears throat> you said, you know, there were, there, there were different kind of paths that you could branch out and you know, you had entry perimeter dudes. It sounds like everybody started on the perimeter, which makes sense. Yep. Okay. Ne negotiators. I mean, how, how are those, I mean, how was that kind of career progression dictated? Was that up to the individual or is that needs of the team or what? It was needs of the team. And I, I would like to think because I went to entry, I would like to think that it was because of skill set and, and okay. I was watching you and, and seeing how you see how you move, say you handled stuff. And and I guess it would be kind of kind of your interest too, because if they would have said, "Hey, dude, we want you to go to the stopper cell," I'd go, "Eh, yeah." But but I mean, I, I was right where I wanted to be, you know, um, at the time, and it was it was a uh, it was a good deal. I mean, I I, I enjoy I enjoy that kind of work. Um, so yeah. All right. So you, so you you joined you joined a, the agency in '82. What what year did you did you switch over to uh, SWAT? So it was uh, 87. Okay, 87. All right, so we all know, we know a lot of people, you know, make the argument, all right, you had the militarization of U.S. police forces and things like that. Everybody talks about it. And I'll be, the, listen, I'm the first one to say, hey, you know, you know, you, you, have, you, have, you have great cops and you have not so great cops, just like you have great soldiers and not so great soldiers in terms of things like, you know, preserving civil liberties and, and things like that. Listen, that that's all moot because the whole militarization thing, you know, these are all lessons learned from 
you know, concepts going on overseas, or even if it's just so as, as simple as people crying about like SWAT teams rolling around in MRAPs and they don't realize that the United States government sold that, you know, you know, they had this fleet of MRAPs that weren't being used. So they sold them on pennies on the dollars versus buying a purpose built armored personnel carrier. But all of that aside, 1987, going back that far, my God. So you had the Miami shootout, which was right around that time. I think that was like 86, correct? Oh, hold on. We lost audio. What do we do? Oh, there we go. It's back. It happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So like 1986, the Miami shootout had just happened, correct? Yep. Okay. So kind of with those lessons learned, and now you're, now you're in a, a, a more tactical unit. You're, you know, you're working a job where you're making entry and your chance of, of getting into a firefight are a little higher. Walk us through, like, what was your kit in 1987? Weapons, body armor, you know, how, how is it laid out on you? Like, th this is incredibly fascinating. Well, you know, so coming coming into the into that that time frame, there were still a lot of Vietnam vets that were. Uh, in fact, my my first uh, team sergeant, for lack of a better term, at tactical unit was was a, a Maxog Vietnam vet. So there's a lot. There's a, a huge influence of those guys that were still working the street, and they were still they were still around, man. And they were and they were um, they were doing the business, and so. Those Vietnam vet guys, as they towards the end of their towards the end of their, I guess their shelf life or, or whatever in law enforcement, because you know, your knees and your back and stuff starts going out. So I remember those guys, and and so really, I mean, we used to just turn our hats around backwards and put on body armor on perimeter. We we put our, our patrol concealable patrol armor, turn our hats around backwards, and man, we go to work, you know, and uh, and so the entry guys, there was. Uh, there was an entry vest that was issued. We called them the, tur the turtle shells. It was a big black full coverage, no pockets, just a big old big vest. And um, and so so that was the the entry team guys got that. And but I've seen the entry guys just turn their hats around backwards, put the radio in their back pocket, and take their car fifteen and and go. You know. So so you you kind of had you kind of had that. Uh, but but body armor was kind of coming around. You know, body armor. Kind of started hitting really, really hard in the '70s, like the late '70s, and it was just now getting more and more wearable. So yeah, we used to wear our patrol armor, which is level three A, and that wasn't '87. That was clearly into 2004 that I was wearing level three A panels with no plates or anything like that. And that's 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 further down the story, but but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my kit was. Uh, <laughs> My kid and I've got a picture. I'll send it to you. Uh, a, a picture of me and me and a partner, and and I rode motors, and my buddy Ted rode horses, and so there was always kind of like this. I mean, because Eagle was coming, you know, Eagle Industries was coming around, so all these companies were kind of kind of getting spun up, and so we were kind of at an, a, a gear race to to get gear, you know, and and some influences came over from from Twenty Two SAS, you know, with Princess Gate. And so, you know, you see drop leg holsters and you know, most drop leg holsters got where the freaking straps were, you know. <laughs> Guys so, rocking them right above their kneecaps. That's crazy. It's so stupid. Uh, so I think Safari Land probably, probably could cut, I don't know, if they take that stupid strap out, 
I mean, you could probably take 15 or 20 bucks off the, off the price of a, of a 6004. So anyway, so, so our, our kit, um, it was pretty much standard stuff. I mean, you, you go out and you get some nylon stuff. Uh, but I remember I got the first SWAT holster I got was, uh, was one of that UM84, which was the, the Beretta. The Beretta, the, the, the UM84 was the Bianchi model. It was the M9 holster, I think. So it was for the Beretta. So I remember getting one of those. And, uh, and then from there, me and Ted were kind of buying stuff. And I bought a, an ABA uh, mesh vest to go on with the snap and the Velcro grid thing on it. Um, and, and that was probably 80, well, it's going to be 87, 88, something like that. And uh, that's when some of that stuff, to me, in, in, in my world, that's when that stuff was kind of kind of rolling in. Now, it could have been on the East Coast, LAPD, because, you know, LAPD is the Mac Daddy of, of, of SWAT in the, in the United States. Um, but that stuff was kind of getting over and getting to us, and, you know, it was getting in the catalogs. And so people were purchasing the stuff. And, and, uh, and so my, my, original, my original loadout, as I got on the entry, would have been uh, the vest and maybe my UM. Um, on, on, a, on a hip extender, I think that's what they called them back then, and um, and I was rocking a, I was rocking a uh, Browning uh, a BDA forty five, which was is the P two twenty in its European version. It had the heel, the heel mag release. So uh, that's that's what uh, that was some of the kit we were running. It's come some of the stuff coming out of Bianchi, and Bianchi okay. mover and shaker back then. So. So, I mean, I guess the big takeaway was there wasn't, there wasn't a lot in terms of kit. I mean, I'm, I'm, assuming this tur I'm assuming this turtle shell was just soft armor, no plates. No, no, it, it, I assume it. And I tried to get a guy to, to go, back in the, go back in their supply room and see if that vest was still there. Um, it, it had plates. And okay. It, they were big and it was heavy. And, and the only reason I say they were rifle plates is because they were hard. So I assume they were rifle plates. Okay. I was so I was so enthralled of being a SWAT guy. It's like, dude, I wear whatever you want. I dress like a clown, flop around on the ground. I, I, but uh, you know, it was. But it was not like, it was not like what we see today. Yeah. And and and, and yeah, I, I don't want to go back and talk about the militarization, militarization of police because I think that's a a, a specious argument. But um, but yeah, we were. It was it was like the entry guys got this entry vest, and I only think there's five of them at that time. We were running five man crews, and the and the crew was made up of the point cover, team leader, gas man, and rear guard, and that's and it was a five man element. That that's what we ran at Birmingham was a five man element. Okay, and everybody so, specialized. So okay, so I'm not going to ask you. Well, I'm sure. TTPs and SOPs have changed a lot since 1980, the late 1980s. I mean, when you guys were making entry, I mean, you know, the world of CQB is always changing. And it's, and it's, it's probably the one facet of my job I find most fascinating just because of how often it changes. Our, I, have not, I have not been a Green Beret for long. I've been in the regiment. I'm come. I'm six years now but in six years there have been three major revamps to cqb tactics uh when i first when i first got in uh free flow was still the standard so you make entry 
you know, you, you clear the room. You're, there's no such thing as strong point. There's no such thing as strong wall. You clear the room and you got doors, you got hallways, you're calling them out, but then you're immediately stacking up. And as soon as you got a second guy on you and you get the squeeze, you're moving on. Then it moved to a very deliberate clearing where you're trying to clear 90, like that one man was going to clear 90% of the room or 95% of the room from the hallway or from the entryway. And he's just taking his time. He's going to move across. He's going to plate the threat. His two man's going to move over and, and pull long security, things like that. But it was very deliberate. Now the most recent uh, instruction we're getting out from the, like the, the Sephardic committee, which is the super advanced close urban combat shooting school within the SF regiment is it's kind of this mix of both. So going back through that, I kind of just say that, you know, just to, to lay out my, my expertise on it. I'm not a CQB expert. I'm not a, a CRIF dude. I, you know, I, I'm not a direct action only dude. Um, CQB is something I practice. It's something that I'm, I would say proficient at, but I'm not an expert at. Some guys are experts. But when you were making entry, five guys, I mean, were you guys doing like a, a, like a super deliberate or were you guys utilizing that speed, surprise, violence of action? Listen, I've got like this 30-pound vest that will take all this abuse. I'm just going to go in and if something hits me, like, I, like you said, it's a turtle shell. Like, hey, that's it. Or was it, was it a, a little more nuanced and deliberate back in the 80s? You know, there were – the Birmingham, the, the Birmingham style ha, was a very slow and deliberate style. Um, of course, we had your hostage rescue stuff. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. I, I lost your picture for some reason. Oh, sorry about that. No, that's okay. Somebody tried to call in. So, um, so it was it was a it was a, it was a slow and deliberate style, and and and, and, and I say style. I mean, it was it was a set of tactics. It wasn't like a style, like a, a nice shirt or something. So it was, <laughs> like it was that shirt. Yeah, that's a great shirt. So, um, so the the uh, the slow and deliberate was was there. The, it was built into it was built into the way the first two guys operated. If I can use that term, um, but it was that was basically their that was basically their deal. Hey, first two guys search and cover. One guy searches, one guy covers, and uh, and so that that's that's kind of the way that's the kind of way things work. Now, when we made room entry, and we we we're pretty much running a strong wall, but we weren't. We we did not have points of domination. We did not have you know moving move coming off your wall. Those, those kind of those kind of things that that that, uh, that are those control measures that I think are important. So we didn't have those. Um, so, uh, but you know, getting into the, get a little bit deeper into the eighties, especially when I got to my other team. We were we ran a lot of dope warrants, and so we're coming out of the '80s where cocaine is king, and it's like hair on fire. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Which was a lot a way a lot of narcotics warrants were ran like crazy, man. And uh, and so uh, you know it was it, it there was there was a there was a dichotomy between what was going on at SWAT and what was going on at narcotics about how they ran warrants, and so. At least during that time period, SWAT did not run narcotics warrants. And there's there there's a 
there's you know there's a there's a way to to mitigate that with with uh, threat matrices and things like that. Um, of course, yeah, yeah. So so kind of going get a little bit deeper, you know, into my career, um, we were we were we were presented with some stuff around Y2K. Uh, we were presented with with some um, information. And so we were kind of, we changed a little bit of the way we did things. And I don't, and we, and we kind of, the guy presented it, presented it really well, but he was using some numbers that I, I never was comfortable with. He, like where people occupy the room, 86% of the time people occupy this space in the room. And it's like, of course, okay, if you're going to give me, if you're going to give me stats, I need to know source. So, um, but, and, and so, we kind of got away from doing what we, what I've been taught and we started kind of doing this thing, which was kind of a center. It wasn't, it wasn't like center of the room working exterior, but it was not running walls. So, so anyway, we, we, uh, we, we, we had adjust, we adjusted that for a little while and we, and we stayed there. Um, and then we kind of, kind of got back. We kind of got back to, you know, points domination, you know, keep your wall where you are, you know, and, and I don't think of this as anything in TTP uh, slaying because all this stuff is on YouTube anyway. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's, it's kind of come back around. Um, but I really don't remember. And of course, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give me a, a break. I don't remember everything because, you know, I, that's, that's been a long time, but I don't, I don't remember in SWAT school them having any, any kind of form other than, Number one goes one way. Number two goes the other. Number one's never wrong. Number two support number one. And uh, I ran into a little bit of a change of that in the mid '90s when I went to a uh, uh, some training from a from a guy that was a 22 SAS guy. And so he went. His was direct to threat. You go to threshold, step to the threshold, identify the direction you want to go, and go to it. And if, if the threat's in the middle of the room, you you bore down on the threat. Um, so it's it's Go through, go in the door and find threat, and move to direct threat. So there wasn't, there wasn't what you'd have with, with what a lot of teams are doing today of, you know, run strong wall or, uh, you know, even and then there's some teams that are running some other things, uh, uh, opposing corners and things like that. Um, but but what I, what I, I do see is what I have seen is that that built for an 18 year old army private. That step by step by step by step. What I've seen that that has been infused into the law enforcement side, and I think I think that's a good thing. I think that one of the things that we needed on the LE side, uh, at least in my experience, was this is this is the steps, and this is what you do when you enter into space, and this is this is where you go to. Instead of this, uh, just run through the wall, run down run down a wall, and go wherever you want to in the room, because it all works really well in trying to good. In uh, with the cold gun or even even a simulation force on force stuff, but when you add the live fire component into it, if people aren't where people need to be, that's when you run the risk of people getting getting blasted. And yeah, that, that, that's not cool at all, you know. Um, so that that's kind of that's kind of where, where where we we entered into. But we were doing, I mean, slow and deliberate search and cover mirrors, pies, uh, you know, all the stuff that. That I think you can do, um, and if you need to go faster, you just do those things faster. And obviously, mirrors have been replaced. I mean, we used to have we used to have a little rayovac battery that was that was bolted to a bus mirror, 
and that's the way we would look and that's the way we would bounce slide into a room with but it's you know kind of awkward never worked and and uh, <laughs> But it was, it was, it was, it, it was what we were doing. But now, of course, you have, you have other things. You have, I mean, now we're flying drones down the hall, you know, and we're, we're, you know, we've got throw, we've got throw bots. And, and so, I mean, technology has, has changed a lot of stuff, you know, of course, we didn't even talk to, started talking about ballistic shields. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, well, and, you know, that's fascinating. And I think that's always kind of a, uh, kind of a little bit of a separation between the military side and the law enforcement side when it comes to like CQB and CQB tactics. You know, yeah. prior, you know, when I was active duty side, I, we did have a little bit of of law enforcement interaction when I went through uh, when I went when I went through SODIC, which is the the group level sniper school, not like the schoolhouse sniper school, but the group level sniper school. We had uh, Kentucky State Police snipers come out to our range and we were shooting with them and you can, that was kind of my first um taste of like how you know you know it's kind of a similar world but it's a different world and i don't know like why it shocked me why it was going to be so different um because like police snipers aren't taking thousand meter shots you know they're you know at at most they're taking hundred meter shots and yeah. you know and that was kind of like this thing that we saw, like, yeah, you know, we, you throw steel out at a thousand meters, you know, if they've never, you know, if they've never done that, you know, it's, it's going to be a disaster. But then we saw them like, you know, with paper at a hundred meters, like these guys' groups were incredible. I mean, these guys were just stacking rounds because that's what they were training for. That was their job. And I, again, I have no idea why that came as a shock to me. I'm like, why would they be shooting beyond anything you know than a couple hundred yards or meters but uh, ever since i've gotten to the guard it's kind of opened up this world of of like uh tactical exchanges of not tactical exchange of knowledge uh with certain federal srts and things like that the training that we do with these guys and that was my big takeaway they're very deliberate on the on the entry um but again that goes back to mission set like you know, we when we enter a room, it's because we're clearing an objective or we're going after a high value target. Like we're going into the room and yeah, we run shoot no shoots all the time. But typically, you know, we have intelligence and things like that that are gonna say, Hey, there's bad guys in here. So we're you know, we go in, we're we're drawing down, we're ready, we're ready to shoot. A little bit different for law enforcement. So it makes sense with the whole a little bit more of a deliberate entry. Um, so, also, I mean, what it, what's the mission? And, and of course, exactly. This, I mean, this thing got this 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 conversation got spun up by a guy that was asking about he was asking about equipment. And my my response to him was, "What's your mission?" So, I mean, why what why do you want? I mean, he didn't really ask about plate carriers. He's he's asking about side armor and plate carriers. But I had a conversation with a guy today about. Uh, about plate carriers, he's he's Conus. He'll never he'll never go anywhere but Conus, and he'll never go anywhere but Conus in a security guard job. But you've got you got a rifle plate carrier. Well, you know you got a handgun threat too, and so you know that's 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 the other that's the other side of the coin, um, or one of the other sides of other coins. My um, my my last team, the guys I was I was with, we you know, we went through all the we went through all the iterations of 
uh, plate care, uh, body armor, entry vest, and of course, entry vest became everybody's vest, just a SWAT vest. And of course, it went from Snap Grid to Molly, Pals, and and um, and and so we, and then of course, it went with the big, it went with the big, the big bicep armor, big throats, uh, groin protectors. So we had we had all that neck protectors on the back. Um, and then it kind of, and then since since G Watt, and of course we're getting a little bit ahead. So what what happens is we on on the cop side we see what's going on over there, and it's like oh those SF guys, they're they're wearing they're wearing plate carriers and plate carriers only. We should do that. And so now we start wearing the stuff that we see the cool guys wearing because we're the cool guys at our agency, and so. When we start asking our question, of course, our, our body armor uh, that we had, the, the, the tactical vest that we had, and by this point, we, 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 had, uh, we had acquired plates. So we finally got people to purchase those plates, which is another story in itself. So, so we were plated, but we were, we were running our plates in, in SWAT vests with soft armor, 360 degree around the, you know, around the waist. And so you had, you had pretty much good full coverage. And so, um, so we, we got into uh, we got into the thing. Okay, our, our body armor is about to go out of, out of date. This current trend of wearing plate carriers and plate carriers only. How do we feel about it? So I remember Chuck and I sat down and we got to talking about it. It's like you know, man, we still got a, we still got a handgun threat here. Yeah, we got a rifle threat, and then of course we're, this is America, and so we we have a rifle threat, but we, we have a handgun threat. So when we go to we go to rifle armor, you know, and the plates designed to fit. And cover the 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 vitals. So when we we if that's all we're going to go with, then we've got no we've got no armor protection uh, beyond the, beyond the plate. And we still so our fix to that was we will maintain level three eight coverage, and we will wear plate carriers. But you're you're you have to deploy with both. You can't um, you can't run your plate carrier and plate carrier only. Um, and, and I think I think that's a smart way to go. You because know, you get the mobility. I mean that that tortoise shell we used to have. I mean it was like if you, you, you know, you, it was it was big and heavy and bulky, um, but you could still you could move around in it if you were twenty four years old and still had all your knees and back and stuff. <laughs> so, and so anyway, um, but yeah, that 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 was our you know that was our deal. We need to we need to maintain soft body co coverage with with as much wraparound protection as as we could without getting too wild with it. Um, because we went through, um, we went through the cover six phase and, uh, and, the, and that kind of goes back to the, to the late nineties, uh, and cover six was a Safari land product. And if, if I'm correct, it was the first, uh, SWAT vest to come out with bicep protection. And I want to say, um, that was going to be, that's going to be the late nineties. Um, okay. So I mean, was was this uh, was this because of the nor you know it, it's funny just like everything in the military everything is driven by lessons learned but in the law enforcement like I said back in the in '86 you had the Miami shootout all right we you know we went from or at least the FBI went from revolvers to semi-autos late '90s you had the North Hollywood shootout and you know being outgunned out armored things like that so my quick question is i mean was that a catalyst that kind of spurred the introduction of you know things like deltoid and bicep armor 
You know, and I'm, I'm not sure if there was a, a particular incident, but one incident that, that was regional to us was the Cobb County incident where two officers were killed making entry. And, uh, and they were, um, and it was a five man element, I believe, going through the door and the guy uh, shot, and you know, of course not there, but I believe they got shot through the shoulder, through that, through that, that flank. And, uh, and so the first guy got hit, with the number four guy got, gets hit and goes down. Number five guy pulls him out. Number five guy goes in, he gets hit and goes down. And I, I know it's, I know it was a shotgun. I can't say, you know, what gauge, I can't say what kind of, what kind of round he was shooting, but, but it, it killed both guys. And so that was kind of, and that was 99. And that was kind of the impetus for, for my team. We, we said, Hey, Hey bud, uh, talking about talking to the boss. Hey man, this, it's time to re-up an armor. Why don't we re-up with these, with these far nine cover sixes? Well, and so, and so that was, that was, Reportedly, Ron McCarthy was a LAPD, and he's a he's a grandpa of SWAT. Uh, he's probably great grandpa of SWAT now. Um, so Ron McCarthy, I, I think, had something to do with the design of the Cover Six sold by Safari Land, and uh, and that was the first one with, bi with bicep armor. Of course, from there, everybody started putting bicep armor because that's that's what I mean. They were all competing, and so uh, so we, we we ran through we ran through. Uh, through a section of those cover sixes, um, was it, it wasn't my favorite vest. It was kind of long in the body for my for my taste. Um, it, it almost created the need to run a drop leg with using all the strap. So, um, but uh, but yeah. So it, that that kind of and that that kind of came up uh, post ninety nine ish for us because that's when the that's when the fellows in uh, in Cobb County, Georgia, lost lost their lives on that entry and. Uh, that, that was just one of those things that came out that yeah they were flank shot we don't have flank protection so then we got in a big dust up on my team in 2004 and we were still running soft armor soft armor only um, so that that created the impetus for for my team to go to go get plates yep <laughs> we uh, our first plates we got from there's this big church in the, in that city and they do the Fourth of July thing every year and they they have this uh, Thing where they honor the honor the, the the different services, and so they would play this melody of the different service songs to include the Coast Guard, and um, <laughs> Coast Guard guys. So you know, Coast Guard guys have been doing good work. Um, anyway, so so we would they, we did it for a couple of years um, during the Marine Corps. Him, we would drop ropes. So There's this huge big church with this big. This big thing in the back of the sanctuary with with lights, you know, it's where they run all the, the spotlights and stuff. Well, it had these openings, and so we, in the middle of the Marine Corps, right at the very beginning of the Marine Corps thing, we kicked we kicked three ropes out and we repelled into the sanctuary in the middle. And it was always packed, and so we always had to have guides down at the bottom to keep people from getting hit in the head. But the, these ropes, we would repel down in the middle of this this thing, and then they would they would buy us plates and we did that for two or three years where we uh we repelled during the marine corps hymn and we got two or three plates out of it you know th two or three rifle plates yeah and then uh and, and then we finally got it in the budget and we finally bought them and now they're at a good rotation where they're they're getting their plates and they're rotating them out and and really a lot of agencies are, are putting are putting plate carriers in every car every cop's getting a plate carrier which i think is i think is a I think it's a good thing. I mean, 
I would agree. Yeah. Now, I mean, are you guys, you know, back in these days, I mean, are you guys running steel plates or are you guys running ceramic? We ran a combination. We, okay. uh, uh, President Bush came to our city to look at our gas pumps because we were using E85 gas and it was green. So he came to look at our gas pumps for whatever reason. And we picked up a cat mission um, uh, to counter to assault help. team. Yeah. So, so right, I'm had, just clarifying for the, uh, for the, listeners that's all so, <laughs> so and, and so anyway we, we had a countersault deal and uh and i knew a couple guys like at uh, rbr and rbr was running a, a steel plate they had they were selling a steel plate that was in conjunction with you had to wear it run it with with uh with 3a armor behind it of some type either backers or or a vest and so uh my buddy at three at rbr hooked us up with some plates and um and so those were steels, and then, then from then we were starting to get we were starting to get um, we we're starting to get some of the LTC plates, which were I think were still conjunction plates. You know, you had to wear them with soft armor. Um, and at some point, we started getting the the, the ESAP style and standalone plates. Um, uh, you know, I, I forget exactly when that was, but yeah, we we started we started running. It was it was a combination to begin with, and those, some of those steel plates were still around. Um, and they may still be in the supply room because, you know, just nobody, super heavy and my yeah, God. Yeah. You know, and everybody, everybody was always talking about, Hey man, if you get in the, if you get in the chest of the steel plate, the spalling's going to come up and it's going to cut your throat and all that. And of course, you know, now the, the people that are making steel armor are coating it with whatever I, I call it bed liner. Um, so, but the, these were like painted black pieces of metal. That nice. I would, would route some 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 spalling up into your face, man. So that would be spalling because spalling would be on the inside. Uh, same, yeah, but I don't know. Fra yeah, I don't know. Just collateral Spl frag. Splatter. So. Splatter. I like that. Yeah. So all right. So around this time, around two thousand, you know, two thousand four, going on. Um, you know, this is when the G the the global war on terrorism, like GWAT, is really kicking off. Um. And, uh, you know, I've said, I've said on the program before, the GWAT was the impetus that really spurred a lot of innovation in a lot of different fields. Mm -hmm. um, body armor being one, uh, medical care being a huge one. My God, I mean, you cannot understate how important the GWAT was to trauma medicine in the States today. There were a ton of lessons learned. Um, e even on, on your guys's, you know, you know, when it comes to like tactical, you know, tactical care under fire or things like that. I mean, like the advent of the tourniquet, which was always kind of there, like in, in trauma management, things like that. Like nowadays, like, Hey, you have an extremity wound, just seriously tourniquet on, don't even think about it. And it saved thousands of lives. And, you know, I know law enforcement agencies picked up on that. I mean. You know, my, my cousin's uh, young patrol cop, he carries, a, he carries two tourniquets on his belt. Like, that's, you know, that's crazy. That was one of those impetuses. So, you know, things like, all right, shorter weapons, um, the, the switch from sub guns to short-barreled rifles because there was a need. There was a need to go in. You needed that maneuverability. Um, a, a nine millimeter or God, you know, we, when I was a fifth group, 
you know, we had UMPs 45s in the arms room as well. But, you know, th that's still an, un you know, it's still, it's still a pistol round. It's not a rifle round. So, it, you know, now they were developing, you know, rifles, at, you know, with, at the same side or the same size. So with all those advances, you know, now we're moving into GWAT. We're moving from the weird, I can picture this vest, by the way, as you're talking. Like, you, you know, you see the big, bulky, you know, almost fluffy looking catchers, you know. It looks like, it almost looks like a catcher's, you know, chest protector. I, I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And now moving into the, the super sleek, super sexy world of like the high speed dudes you know, running, you know, plate carriers. And if they are running soft armor in the earlier generation of plates, it's, it's a, it's a slim, you know, backing that's cut to the same shape of, of the, of the, uh, the plate, things like that. So going into the two thousands, into the GWAT era, I mean, how, how did, how does the kit change? Well, you know, it, it kind of didn't, I mean, we were still, I mean, we were, we were still running the, we were kind of still getting into the plate stuff and, 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 and we were still wearing the, the, the SWAT vest and, and the, the SWAT vest now was no longer the entry vest, it was the SWAT vest. And of course we were getting the, the full run of throat protection, neck protection, bicep protection, groin protection. So we were, we were, getting, we were getting that. Of course the, the guys were allowed to not wear it if they didn't want to wear it. Um, helmets were, were we're getting shorter, you know. Um, you know, you started with the Fritz helmet, and then and then as as life went on, I mean, it's hard it's hard to prone out in a in a Fritz helmet with a with a neck protector. So then they they started RBR started cutting the helmets up. They still had the lip on the front, but they still started cutting the helmets up. Um, and of course, then you had the mid cuts, the gunfighter cut, as they call it, and and all of that stuff was being picked up by you guys and or guys that were before you but and then it was kind of being looked at by us guys and so we were starting to buy that stuff too you know and i and i i remember um i remember having a conversation about high cut helmets several times with people about uh about the the pluses and the minuses of, of the high cut helmet and uh you know the, the, the fritz cut had lots more coverage but the ach cut um or even the gunfighter cuts with the, the mid-rise. Um, so, you know, having those, those conversations with people, um, of course, now you're not gonna, you're not gonna find a SWAT guy probably in, in, in a lot of agencies that doesn't have a, a complete high-rise with, with uh, Peltors or, or uh, MSA hanging off, the, off a rail and, and some of the other stuff um, on their helmet, um, which I think is good. I mean, it, you know, you go back to that militarization thing, as long as uh, bullets fly the same and, and geometry stays the same, we need the best thing that we can get, the best, the best technology. And I don't care what, what it looks like, we need it. And, uh, and it, it's, it's how we use it is, is, is where I, I delineate. Man, as long as the Constitution's still in play, as long as we have courts and our job is to make arrests and, and, and bring people to, to to court so they can be judged by jury of their peers. You know, we're, we're not, we're not getting militarized. We're just, we're just wearing some of the stuff that, that has shown that it works. So you talk about, you talk about tourniquets, you know, I remember mentioning tourniquets, my brother who's a paramedic. Uh, and he was like, what tourniquets? No way. Don't do that. And I said, dude, it's, it's, you know, they're using them every day. They're putting them on every private in, in the, in the army. They're 
they're putting a couple cats on every private. You know, why shouldn't we be out here running tourniquets? So, uh, so yeah, I, I think I think those things. Of course, I didn't. I was I was out of I was out of the green side before we started getting body armor and before we had the IOTVs. I mean, the Ranger body armor stuff was kind of coming in as I was going out, but it was not getting to the scout platoon in the Alabama National Guard. I can tell you that. Um, so, 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 you know, it's kind of like stuff was happening over there and, and, and things were getting better. And with every, I mean, since, since 1776, every, every war has brought out something, either technology or tactics or medical, you know, you go back to 1898, the Spanish American war, you know, we, we came up with the, with the, uh, the, the fix for, for the disease that came out of mosquitoes down there. And, and I think, I think the tactical medicine T C and TECC, I think, I think that came from there. And, and so the, the idea of we can't wait on certain people to come and, and treat us, we need to treat ourselves right here. And, you know, blood flow is blood flow and blood stopping blood flow is not, I mean, I don't want to, I don't get anybody mad, but stopping blood flow doesn't seem that hard to me. Um, if, if it's a certain part of the body, I tourniquet. If it's not a certain part of the body, I, I wound pack. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Now the whole fixing of all that stuff and, and reattaching limbs and crap, that's somebody else's gig, man. That's not mine. But, you know, our SWAT doc used to tell us, and he was a, he was a, a, a doc over, you know, he, he went down range with a, with a reserve company. Uh, and, and he said, yeah, man, people are, lives are being saved by tourniquets and over there, you know, and, and it's not causing, of course, yeah, I came in, I went through basic training in 79 and tourniquet was the last thing you wanted to do. Oh my gosh, you got to direct pressure, elevate the wound. And then if it's the very last thing you're going to, you got to, you got to put a tourniquet on and you have to make it out of a, out of a happy rag and a, and a stick. And, uh, and just know when you put a tourniquet on a man that you're damning him to lose that arm or that leg, you know, or, or muscle, you know, or, or muscle or nerve damage. And, and, you know, my SWAT doc's telling me, he said, man, they had, they've had applications for hours without any kind of a, without any kind of loss of anything. So, you know, why wouldn't we? And, and I mean, just in our area, I know, I know a cop up in North Alabama, he saved, he saved two people putting tourniquets on two separate uh, scenarios. There's, there's, there's saves all over the United States with, with just that. And that's, and that's just one piece of equipment that's, that's come out of, uh, out of GWAT and come into the hands of, and not just cops. I know, I know dudes that carry tourniquets every day in their pocket or in their sock. And they, they work, they're, they're AC, elect, uh, AC uh, heating and air guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's back, yeah, whatever it is. You know, I got no skills beyond, <laughs> don't worry neither do i i can't oh, man. all right so I, I mean yeah i mean that was a huge takeaway i mean you know war kind of dictated the pace of 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 all sorts of you know tactical medical applications so we we moved from the beginning we moved from like all right backwards ball caps you know catchers you know catcher uh chest protectors making entry yeah, and, you know, there's there's something to say. That's a good look. Like, hey, throw your radio in one back pocket, a spare mag in the other back pocket. Like, I can get behind that drip. All right, so now we're moving to, I get, all right, so now we're moving to 
you know, that overall coverage. And I think that probably even involved from maybe even early GWAT. I mean, for a while, a lot of conventional army units were running the groin protectors, the, the neck girdle, the, the, you know, the deltoid things. I remember the ballistic shorts for the, uh, the turret gunners, the, the Humvee gunners. So, yeah. Okay. That is way before my time. I have heard of them. OTB. Uh, good God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you not feel, you know, indestructible though. I mean, if I had a, if I had a bullet resistance jock on, I'd probably feel that way too. <laughs> All right. So then we moved, you know, we moved to the, to the overall, you know, late nineties, early two thousands concept of all right let's cover it all you had the i you know you, the helmets you're describing i imagine they're like they were similar to like the old pasgat helmets yeah you know, the, okay yeah lip on the front okay big bulky whatever awful leather band on the inside yes so we move from that okay now we're going to to you know you know we're going to ballistic plates with with soft armor inserts um, we're, we're giving it, you know, giving our helmets, the, the gunfighter cut, you know, bringing in some tactical comms, things like that. All right. Taking it to the end of your career, like let's go 2018. Was there anything different from like the early two thousands, mid two thousands to like, all right, 2018 to put things in perspective, like the kid I was running, the plates we were being issued no longer needed any ballistic backing like it was it was both uh it 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 defeated both threats and it eliminated any threat of spalding anything like that so plate carriers got tinier they got slimmer they got more compact guys were running you know minimal minimal kit you know my deployments before i became a jtac and i needed radios and notebooks and things like that like it was i had all right i had three mags on my on my uh, plate carrier, I had two on my belt. I had one in the gun. That's my basic, you know, it's a little less than a basic load, but it's pretty much a basic load. Had my radio, good to go. I was running, you know, that's pretty, that's running pretty slick. Like there wasn't a whole lot there. I was, I could, you know, you were flexible. You were able to move. You were able to get in and out of the truck without any sort of problems. That was, that's kind of like where we are. Like that minimal, you know, let's cut down on the weight let's cut down you know let's maximize mobility when you know come 2017 2018 i mean was was there anything drastically different like from those mid 2000s oh yeah from yeah from y2k to, to yeah 18 years later most definitely i mean because because stuff had gotten lighter and things had had, had progressed in the in the armor world um and i and i think some of it you know, some of those things that, uh, I think some of the stuff we, we, the teams that I saw and the teams, and I've got some, I've got some friends and they've got, they've got, they've got team commanders that have a high, like high influence of, 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 uh, soft guys. And one guy's a force recon dude and the other guy's a 18 Bravo, you know, and, and so, so that you, you've got these team commanders that have, that have that background. Um, so we're seeing, I mean, we're, we're still seeing the, we're still seeing some dudes that are wearing the, the, the old school SWAT vest, you know, with, with bicep protectors and, and because, because they, they want to, and, and that they, they feel like that's their, that's their thing. But, you know, the options are, I think, I think the, the, the options being there, the choices to, uh, 
to run different different things, I guess. Um, because you know, I mean, if you're going to go bang around in the woods, the last thing you want to do is go in there looking like the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Tactical Man. You know, you may want to you may want to go to to plate carrier only, so you have the things that you need for that particular operation. Um, but you know, my last picture that I ever took with with my team boss Chuck. Um, I mean, we were we played carriers with our with our uh, our soft armor underneath and running our running our 3M helmets with our Peltor headsets and our ten and a half inch upper LMT Colt combo. Mm. No. So yeah, it was. Hey, kind you of, guys, you guys really went all out with those LMTs, didn't you? Well, it was it was a fight, you know. <laughs> we. Um, you know, you talked about the nine millimeter stuff. We were we were a team that was at some point vastly invested in MP5s, and so we were we were not all of us, but some of us were particularly very fond of MP5. And and what else do we need? I mean, this is done this is done this is done cops special operations cop stuff, great and wonderful things for years. Why should we want to change? Why do we want to go to a rifle? The rifle's just going to go through our, anybody we have to shoot. It's going to, you know, it's a typical rifle's going to keep going until it, until it hits a big fat tree. And it's like, no, dude, no, we're not shooting. We're not shooting uh, armor piercing ammo. We're shooting, we're shooting the most modern stuff. And, and so we had a big fight about, about rifles and MP5s and it got to where, all of our MP5s were in a safe, and all of our dudes were toting, were toting ARs, and uh, and the question came down from people above: Hey, where they have an MP5? They're in a the safe. Why? Why? How come we're not using them? Uh, because they're not as effective as as what we got and what we're running now. And uh, so it, we actually finally got shed all those um, those MP5s, um, and it was, you know it was time for them to go, you know, and I've. In my time, I carried I carried uh, I carried several nine millimeter submachine guns, and um, and I, I I was glad when I gave up my MP5. I mean, because I carried that Breda M M12 thing. Uh, I carried the Star M81, which is kind of like a grease gun and nine millimeter with a little wire stock thing. And I carried MP5 and and a couple different variations. And the day that the day that I was able to give that thing back and and carry an AR. Man, I was happy. I, I was happy. Um, but I guess I militarized myself. I don't know. <laughs> also, you're not a you're not a slave to trends like I am because I'll tell you what, there's yeah, you listen, the, a roller delayed blowback on a closed bolt gun with the slap on the char you know, with the slap on the charging handle. Hell yeah, see that's what I'm talking about. See, that's sexy. That that's that's some Hollywood stuff right there. I'll tell you what, what, and, and it's when you had uh, Sergeant Major Vining on, and he was talking about uh, the grease guns. See, because when I got first, when I first joined, and I went to basic and AIT, man, they took us to the range and handed us a grease gun because we were we were we were tankers. I mean, it was a 19 Echo, and so it's like here, hold this, point it that direction, shoot it, and shoot the, the the coolest shooting gun I've ever shot is is the grease gun. And, and you know that that slow and then all that inertia going forward and you know in the bolt is that's the that's to me that is that is the gun of guns and the fact they were they were using those suckers for 
for HR missions. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, with no sights too. Just uh, sights, yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's saw off that barrel and get rid of these sights while we're at it. Man. And a correction. I said that it was manufactured by the Ford Motor Company. It was not. It was manufactured by General Motors. Oh, really? Yes. The M3 grease gun was manufactured by General Motors. I always heard that they were like $12 to produce or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, well, the Thompson was a little too, uh, little too pricey, I guess. Oh, there was, there was a Thompson. When I first got to Birmingham Tech, there was a Get Thompson. the hell out of here. Yeah, I got I got a chance to shoot a Thompson late later on, you know, four or five years ago. I got a chance to shoot a Thompson. Of course, you probably did a Q core or so, but man, I I never got to play with the Thompson. I got to play the of when it came to sub guns in the Q course. I got to play with MP5s. I, I'm an 18 Echo. I was not a Bravo. Maybe the Bravos got to play with uh, with the uh, with the uh, Thompsons and, and M3s, things like that. I did get to play. With it, well, it was my choice when I went through when I went through uh, Robin Sage as a gorilla. So early on in the Q course, you know, they use you know students as the gorillas for the guys who are getting getting ready to graduate. And I got to pick my weapon, and I chose an MP5 because why not? I might as well. I might as well look cool like i'm just a gorilla shooting blanks like it's it's fine um the only problem is is unlike the ak's and the fal's and the g3's that all had blank firing adapters designed for the gun so you didn't you know you know you just keep pulling the trigger there was no blank firing adapter for the mp5 <laughs> for the mp5 so i had a single shot weapon but goddamn, did i look I looked so cool, man. I was on the objective as a gorilla and just, I had this MP5. It was awesome. Yeah, they're great for pictures. I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of pictures. I, I mean, I, I carried them because I, I mean, I came off of that, that Star 81 at one agency and, and then I went and they gave me the Cadillac. And I'm not saying anything away from the MP5. It's a great gun. You know, they gave me a, they gave me an MP5 and I was like, here we are. Because, of course, that was, what was that? Holy crap! That was uh, 1990, 1991, or somewhere around there. So yeah, I was, I was, I was stoked about having an MP5. Um, and then, then we got cans for them, and we ran the the Raptors. I forget who made the Raptor, but anyway, um, we. So yeah, I mean, it was. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the MP5, but man, as far as operationally, I was, I, I preferred, I preferred the AR. No, of course, and, and like I said, that's kind. Of, that's why sub guns kind of went away. You know, there was just there was no there was no longer any need. My God, you, you if you ammo, needed to, ammo had gotten to a point where has gotten to a point where you can do the very you can do it better. You can do it at a further distance. You can you can defeat body armor with with the AR platform. So there's really no reason. And there, and, and and there's. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, there's, <laughs> there, you can go there. I can pry rattle off a dozen and a half manufacturers of ARs that that have a like a seven and a half inch barrel AR. And so, like when it comes to that thing, you have, you know, Sig is making its its MPX. It's I think it's 
is it the I think it's the MPC is the is the one chambered for a rifle or the Rattler or whatever folding stock things like that like the options are there like there's just there's no need for the sub gun and while we'll always have I will always have a deep appreciation for the sub gun aesthetic and that you know 80s 90s you know Delta 22 Princess. SAS SWAT look like it's that it, it's of the past. Oh yeah, you know, and, and I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of that time. I mean, Duran Duran, Flock of Seagulls, and all that, you know, and 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 so I, I grew up, I grew up in that, you know, in that whole time frame. And I remember uh, we were in London last year, and we we're walking around, just schlepping around, and uh, we come out of this park and we go across the road, and I look up, and it, and I and I and I look at the street sign, and it's like Princess Gate. And I said, you know where we are. And she said, no, where are we? I said, Princess Gate. And she, she don't know. She's like, well, okay. I said, 22 SAS. She said, what is that? I said, look, there it is right there. Let's go. So we, we walked down and, and, and stood for a minute to look at the, the Iranian embassy because, I mean, that's, that's where it happened, you know. And, I mean, you know, there's so much that happened there on the counterterrorism hostage rescue world. Uh, and there's other things that occurred. But, but for me, that was like, Man, this makes this makes all these smelly people on the subway worth it to, be able to, to walk in the Princess Gate. <laughs> you know? That Churchill's War Room was, was very cool. So. That too, but I mean, no, but like Princess Gate, like that that was, and that was the public's like first taste of speed, surprise, violence of action. Like that was the first time like there was footage of a yeah. dude throwing a flashbang through a window. And he's going in immediately after the like that like that was wild footage, and that was something that nobody had ever seen. But you're right. I mean that, that those images, and you know, for me, even on the American side, the 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 grease gun will always kind of have it will always have like this spot in American special forces lore, because oh, one yeah. of my all time favorite photos of early Delta operators were these guys wearing bell-bottom jeans and Adidas sneakers yeah. with, their, with, their, with their coveralls over it. But the bell-bottoms stick out from below. They have massive sideburns, big bushy, big bushy mustaches, and they have these grease guns, and they're ready to make entry on this room. Like that, the 22 SAS dude with, with the Iranian uh, embassy, I mean, it's – it's hard. Like once you have an image, like I get it. Like the sub gun will always kind of have its place in history. It always will. And so I respect but That's it. the thing. We, we have to, we've got to, we, I say we, uh, those of us that are, that are doing this kind of stuff, you, you got to make sure people know those things. You got, to me, you got to make sure those, those kids know this. That's one of the reasons I want to do this. I mean, of course, you know, and then I, I listened, I listened to a, a, just about, I guess all your, all your cast and, and when you had uh, Sergeant Major Vining on there, and that dude's talking about about the uh, the operation that he was on, and man, I remember waking up in I remember waking up in high school, in in April of that of that year, and, and President Carter um, apologizing for what had occurred, and and then I'm listening to that guy talk about being on a burning plane, and uh, yeah, man, that's that's. That's that's history stuff, you know. And of course, right now, I'm, my point, everything to me right now is legacy. And, you know, everything that I everything that I have done, I'm not going to ever do again. I'm never never going to kick a door again. 
I'm never gonna never gonna get to a stack unless I've been some kind of a training thing uh, ever again. And so I'll never step off a truck or anything. So everything is legacy, and part of I think part of the legacy needs to be let's go back and let's make sure the kids that are doing it now know about the dudes that, that were doing it back when I was a kid. And and you know those those lessons have got to be they got to be learned and they got to, they got to be they got to be brought forward. Um, and so I, yeah, I think I think. Uh, that's that's my gig right now is, is is like I need to I need to tell people some of some of the junk that I know and where it came from. Um, no, I, I mean absolutely. That's the whole reason I did this. Like I said, I, when, when you and I had had talked on the phone last week, I was like, listen, this started off as kind of like some news program, and it, it just I I wasn't in, I didn't even enjoy watching like my first couple of episodes, and I was like, but what if we kind of change this to like kind of this living encyclopedia of of guys who have done incredible things and yeah. you know and <laughs> i was amazed with the listen to him and i told greg my buddy i said hey bud this dude this this, this guy has all sorts of, of dudes on there that are like like viking warrior dudes and and you know i'm gonna get on here and yap about the helmet you know <laughs> that I not but no but it's still but it's still important like like I said, like it, that's still important. Nobody realizes it. You know, everybody, like I said, I, you picture, you have this picture, right? And you know, you know where I'm getting this picture from. And I'm really going to, when I say date myself, I'm just going to talk, I'm just going to allude to how young I am. You know, I'm 30 years old, but like these big puffy soft, soft bottom, like soft armor SWAT suits, like that stuff was like in a video game I played when I was in high school, like Rainbow Six. It was Rainbow Six Vegas, and it was like some counterterrorism hostage rescue, like and the the bulkiest, most you know powerful body armor you could get was like this massive monstrosity. So I, you know, that's all I know. But unless you played the video game and you know you're in you know, law enforcement, like, you're not going to know because you take a look at a dude and you say, wow, that kit's awesome. Well, shit, 30 years of innovation, 30 years of innovation went into, into what you're looking at now. And there were dudes, there were dudes like Kurt Carpenter, who was making entry with the marshmallow vest, a backwards ball cap and a radio in his pocket. And listen, if you don't respect the hell out of that, I don't, I don't know what you will because going into the room is scary. Yeah, I know. At some point, I was wearing a helmet, and that's that's another story. Um, because a, a buddy of mine, it was uh, got out, of, came off active duty, and got in the guard, and uh, was with the, was with eighty second, and uh, and somehow he had a helmet, and 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 it somehow it ended up in my hands, and so you know I did what all SWAT cops do. I spray painted it black. And uh, award on operation, and uh, in this particular operation, I don't remember if I don't remember if it was because the guys with the gas launchers missed, or because it was just hey we're gonna we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have not overlapping sectors of fire, we're gonna have uh, a redundancy in our plan. So you guys are gonna launch with the launchers, and uh, Carpenter, you got the helmet. We're gonna get a ladder off the fire truck, and you're gonna you're gonna go up this ladder, and you're gonna you're going <laughs> to deploy gas by hand through this into the second story window on the ladder. You got the helmet, and that that was the second time the helmet got me a uh, special consideration. So, um, 
so yeah, so they, uh, I, I got video, got a picture of it, me on top of the ladder. This is, this is my Prince's Gate moment. So at the top of the ladder, and uh, I got a, so brought me a little sledgehammer. So because it's double pane window, so I, I tossed the sledge through, and then I, and, I, and it's, and it's not, nothing more than that because I'm right there at the window. So I put the sledge through, and then I get my, my big old fat uh, gas grenade and, and, and just do a little shuffle pass into it. And then I start going down the ladder. And then I, I remember, as I'm going down the ladder, I remember, um, hey, firemen do a thing where they throw their feet on the outside of the ladder, and they slide down the ladder real fast. It so, looks really cool. Yeah, it really does. And so I got a couple of, I got a couple of little baby steps going down the rungs and I remember that. So I can do that. So I throw my, I throw my feet out on the outside and I start sliding down and, and my M17 gas mask. So, you know, that's where, that's where we were at the point. My M17 gas mask going, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, but yeah, so, and so anyway, we, we got, we got some accolades for that operation and the, the lady had shot at some kids and shot at a postman. So it was a counterterrorism thing because she shot at a government agent. That's what I say. So anyway, <laughs> anyway so, so we, get, we get some accolades and they want to, the, the mayor's committee for law enforcement smiley faces or whatever, they want to thank us. They want to thank us. So the command says, all right, we're going to send a motor scout. We'll send a mounted patrol guy and we'll send one guy with a SWAT gear. Carpenter, take your SWAT gear. So I take my kit bag, and uh, so we go up, and Motor Scout talks about riding motorcycles and riding tickets. Horse guy talks about riding horses and uh, talking to chicks. And then, um, and so then I start going through my bag, and I'm pulling. I said, this is my entry armor. This will stop a rifle. And I'm probably making crap up, but this will stop a rifle. You know, city issued it to me. This is my machine gun. It's a Steyr M81, shoots 9 millimeter, blah, 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 cyclic rate. And city owns it and then i get into my stuff this is my swap belt this is a holster that i bought myself this are my swap gloves are made of nomex i bought them myself this is a helmet that belongs to me and so I, and so I, I so about except for the machine gun and the entry vest everything belonged to me and so just so happened on that committee was a former chief of police and so he's passing in the hallway the current chief of police and he goes hey i saw one of your swap guys the other day Oh, really? Yeah. When I was a police chief, chief of police, all my guys, we bought their equipment. They'd have to buy anything, and he walks on. So I get a phone call from my commander, who's a, a former uh, Max Sog guy. He says, get in my office. And so I go in there. He said, I got, I got, my, I got myself chewed out because of that stupid helmet you got. I said, yeah, sorry, sorry, boss. He said, I said, what happened? He told me. He said, yeah, the chief got embarrassed because uh, the other chief made fun of him. I went, yeah, sorry, boss. And he's like, tell you what, until – until you hear from me otherwise, you're going to be teeing in that helmet. I need to report every month on, on how well that helmet's doing for you. I said, okay, Roger that. So, so, you know, this guy knew how to play the game. And uh, so I, you know, that, that was just that, that, uh, that helmet got me the gig because, Hey, you got the helmet, you climb the ladder. And then there was one other where we were looking for some, some dudes that shot up some, a cop car or something. And, and we were clearing his house. And, and so they were like, Oh, we got to go in the attic. And it was one of those squares, you know, right at the very top. Um, and they put me on a two by four and they lifted me up and they spun me around like a human, like a human periscope. And I had my, my, uh, my European release, uh, SIG and a flashlight. And they spun me around in a circle. And, and that's how we, that's how we cleared the, the thing. And it was like, you got the helmet, you get to, you get to go up. So, yeah, but everybody's got helmets now. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, how many dudes, like, like the cat down at, uh, at the, uh, 
the shootout at the at the club, you know, do zero punch. I think he was, had a, a a revision helmet and, and got hit right in the, right in the forehead. Saved his life, you know. Yeah, I ha- I have a I have a first group buddy who end of last year end of last year he was in uh, Afghanistan and uh, he took a seven six two to the ops corps and yeah it's a ballistic helmet and I think it's technically rated at 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 three uh, a like it stops an AK round saved his life like and again like first off. Huge, huge props for convincing an old Mac V saw guy to, you know, like look into helmets because those guys, those guys were wait. And listen, this is kind of like the fanboy in me speaking, but those guys were waging unconventional warfare in the bush of Vietnam, and they didn't wear helmets. They either wore boonies, boonie caps, or they wore their actual brazen combat, which I will forever be jealous of. That is. That's such a good look, and if I, <laughs> if you, if that that just doesn't fly today. That there's no way that flies today. So I give you props for uh, for pulling one of those old guys into into the uh, 20th century. Oh, he's a great dude, you know, and I I got stories about that guy, you know, and, and he I got a picture of his his uh, his recon team. I don't know if it was before or after that either they were going or they were coming in out of off patrol. And man, it's it's that typical it's that typical picture that you've made. You you, you took them when you were at, at, at Fort Benning and AIT, and you took them downrange in front of a Humvee where where a bunch of dudes are standing there with their junk on. And hey, man, let's get a picture. And they all stand there, and everybody tries to look. You know, everybody looks tough because generally they they probably are. But but I've you know I've got I've got that picture of that guy and uh, just a, a great old dude. You know, and and uh, and I say old, he's he's t- he's tough as nails. Um, but yeah, just he, he is in, in, in the in the Birmingham area, he is like uh, he is like the SWAT everybody knows. I mean, because the, the guys that were the guys that were uh, underneath him are either chiefs or they're gone. They're they're retired. But yeah, he's a he's a great dude. And uh, I can say his name. I don't know if I can say his name, but I got I got a ton of respect for him. But uh, there you go. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I ran across you know, and you get you run across this small world, you know, and he was a after after he got out, you know, and got in the 20th group at some point, so he was a 20th group guy. But I go when I was when I was growing up, I lived in Texas before we moved to Alabama, and so I go back when I was in Texas. Uh, I, I I got it. I got to the worst nerd thing you could do. I start. I got an ROTC, so I was in ROTC at a high school in Texas. I mean, and, and like you're you're below the band kids, you know. And I, and I, I played, football, I played football and I was in the band. And then I kind of gave up band and then going into high school. It was the first year for RTC at the high school. I gave up playing football to go to RTC. So, I mean, I, 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 skated, I skated low on the social ladder. It's all right. I was, I was a debate kid in high school. So, you didn't wear a uniform on Friday. I, 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 well, no. no. Now, I, I, I did go to a prep school. So, tie and blazer every day. So you combine that with the whole debate thing. And then in college, I was on the mock trial team. I was probably the, the, the least likely dude to go the SF route, really. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. So, so I go back. I mean, and it's my, my teenage, I didn't graduate from the high school in Texas. I graduated from high school in Alabama. And so I have like an eighth grade education off of that. Uh, and so 
And so I go back and they're, the, the reunion's coming up. So I get in the car and I'm, I'm, I'm single. I, I go where I want to anyway. And so I drive back to Texas. And so it's a cool thing. I lived in Louisiana for a little while, right off Barstow Air Force Base. Cool thing. I'm, I'm driving, coming into Shreveport, Louisiana. And I grew up watching them go to Vietnam. He said, uh, B-52, right over the top of the interstate. I said, man, that's awesome. So anyway, I go to Texas and I go by the high school and I want to just kind of look around. So I go to the ROTC place and I walk in the door and uh, there's this dude standing there and he's got stuff all over his desk, all bunch of SF stuff, big shaved head guy, sergeant major guy, shaved head, big, you know, big bull guy, you know, the guy you think it. And so, uh, so I, I stick my head in the door. Hey, sergeant major. Uh, I was one of the original cadets at this, at this, this battalion or whatever it was. And, and uh, he said, well, come on in boy. And I go in and he says, and I said, well, I was, you know, I, 1976, I was one of the original cadets, blah, blah, blah. And he's, we talked for a minute. He said, well, what are you doing now? And uh, I said, well, I'm a cop in Birmingham. He said, Birmingham? I said, yeah. He said, I know a guy in Vietnam. And uh, what was his name? He's some kind of a captain or something with the state troopers. His name was, was uh, Tucker or something like that. And I said, uh, could have been trucks. He said, yeah, that's the, that's the guy. I said, uh, Charlie Trucks? He said, yeah, that's the guy. He said, last time I saw him, uh, he was throwing my wounded ass on a helicopter in a base camp. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, that's the last time I saw him. I said, well, you know, he's my lieutenant. He's my SWAT lieutenant back at work. You're kidding. I said, no. He said, well, go back and tell him to call me. So I go back, come off vacation. I take the guy's business card. And I go in there to the lieutenant's desk. He's lieutenant by then. I go in there, hey, lieutenant. Uh, that guy wants you to call him, and he picks up the business card. He looks, he said, the last time I saw this SOB, I was throwing his wounded ass on a helicopter in a base camp in Vietnam. <laughs> he said, I said, that's the same thing he said about you. You need to call him. So you, if you, think, about, you think about how big the world is and, and multiple state lines, at least three careers, uh, four or five if you count those two guys. So you all these careers and all these state lines and all these, all these years have passed. And these two guys get back in touch with each other some little schlep got in a car and, and, and drove over there. You know, so I, I'll, I'm always amazed at the, the people that I run across that, that know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And oh, have, man. You, you, I mean, you, you do too. I mean, y'all's is a small community. It is. But, you know, I, you know one, of my favorite, one of my favorite SF guys is a, is a 19th group guy too. So, um, but yeah. It, it's a good gig. I'm, I'm quite enjoying being, being in 19th group. I miss fifth group. I miss a lot of things about fifth group. Um, I miss the chip on our, you know, fifth group, you had a chip on your shoulder. Like, Hey, you're, you're the Legion. Like, yeah, we, we, well, not we, but you know, we stand on, on the shoulders of giants who ran MACV SOG and invaded Afghanistan on horseback and led the fight in Sadr city. Like that was like, it was awesome. Like you had a, a phenomenal pedigree. Um, but 19th group, it's, it's what a, it's a, it's a, such a great organization. It's a lot of great guys. It's a lot of dudes who were, were like me. They came, you know, they came from active duty for one reason or another, but you, you also have dudes that came, you know, I had, you know, we got dudes on the team who come from Marine recon and things like that. So it's, it's a, it's a far more deep, it's a deeper pot of knowledge i think a lot of guys bring all their experience in um and it, i think it makes it i think it makes for a really good team tactically yeah yeah and reserve component sf stuff is is 
I mean, back in the back in the eighties, and I had had a little bit of uh, insight on it. I mean, paper tab guys, you know, you you do your correspondence courses, then you go to Bragg for two weeks, and then phase two, and and then you 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 do correspondence courses, and you go back to Bragg and get your phase phase two alpha or whatever. And, and I mean, that's that's and then you go to uh, Idaho, I think, for for your big X or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't think I don't think there's a single paper tab left in regiment. Probably, oh, probably not. Yeah. No. But you know the, the the thing, and I said it forever, is you know the guard. It it's tough because I was I was, you know, a, a mechanized guy, and I was also a, an armor guy. You know, you got gunnery and you got maneuver, and you're not going to do gunnery and maneuver on weekend. You no. Know, you know what we probably need to be doing? We probably need to be doing light infantry guys. We need to be doing. Um, the, the Gibbs, the guys in the back of the Brads, and, uh, and and nothing more, nothing more than that, you know, nothing more than your battle drills and uh, maybe some hospitals or and some trucks. But but you know, trying to try, trying to trying to run a mechanized force one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, I just you know, if, if anybody ever asked me, I'd go, nah, let's don't do that. Yeah. Hey, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Man. Well, I mean, if, 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 if we're, if we're going to be go to war guys, then, I mean, there's so much that's involved with. You, you better be as prepared as you can be. And if you can't, if you can't prepare one way, prepare for the other way. Yeah. But man. That, that's my, that's my, that's my stance on it. But man. man I, anyway. it, you know, it, it is tough. It is tough doing the, the two, you know, two, you know, one week in a month, two weeks in the, you know, two weeks a year. In actuality, it's much more than that, you know. It's it's way more than that in actuality, um, but it is nice because it gives you know whenever I do want to do something, if I want a school, I can go to a school. If I want a deployment, I can go get a deployment. So this is me. They listen. We just got our new commander. We just got our new company commander. He came in and gave us his expectations, basically a counseling for the company, and he just told me that we're all SF recruiters. So this is me recruiting anybody out there. You're looking at SF. Take a look at the guard. Or if you're active duty, come on over to the dark side. It's pretty nice over here. Nah. I got it. <laughs> Our youngest is at Fort Sam right now going through. Uh, he did it. He did. His first stint was a 98, 98 whiskey. Is just a standard, standard medic. Now he's, he's, he's re-enlisted and he's going to be, a, he's going to be a, uh, uh, a flight medic. So he's fixing that. Oh, nice. He, so he's at Fort Sam right now doing that thing. And so um, he's all, he's saying there's some, in the course that he's in, there's some guard guys in there. They're kind of fat, you know. And so, <laughs> give me down the road about about fat guardsmen, and I'm like, dude, I know about fat guardsmen. I mean, they were they were sergeant majors in my battalion. So, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, this I mean, this last 20 years, I mean, we we the, the guard has done the guard has done its fair share of of, of the fight. It has. It or has. Operations. Maybe not all the fighting, but they've done their fair share. They have. I, I give them credit. And, you know, 19th and 20th group also have pulled more yeah. than their fair share. Um, so, absolutely. Listen, I'm not going to disparage. I'm going dis I'm, I'm to disparage fat guardsmen. I'm going to do that. I will. I disparage fat cops, fat firemen, <laughs> fat preachers. Yeah, you know, I'll disparage, you know. But. <laughs> Dude, it's your job, man. It's just put just put down the donut and run a few miles, man. Just like 
you're hey, busting that uniform. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, if, if your life, if, if your career can kill you, you need to, you need to prepare a little bit harder. Yeah. Good God. Oh man, Kurt, I cannot thank you enough. This was absolutely a good time. This I had, I learned a lot, which was always, that's always my number one priority doing this is I learned something. I hope, you know, my listeners learn something too. It's a little bit different perspective. I got a question. Sure. Where could a guy get like, where could a guy get some first aid kits? Whew. Man, way to pimp me. That's a real, that's, that's a really good way to pimp me. I'll tell Kurt, you want to know where to get some first aid kits? Well, I have almost a degree in uh, mass communication, so I understand marketing. So where could a guy get first aid kits? I Listen, I, I know a little place. It's called Solatac. Solatac.com, made by my buddy Demps. He's down there in Louisiana. Not too far from us. Well, not too far from you at all. He, he, has, he has cut his teeth as an offshore medic. That's where he learned all of his – that's where he learned his trade. Um, so he oil rigs, oil rigs. So he he's his his breadth of knowledge in medically is at least on the civilian side. You know, I, I will I will always always say that eighteen deltas are probably the best medics in the world, and, and they're probably providing the best trauma care outside a level one trauma center that is possible. I've seen eighteen deltas do incredible things, but. Demps is kind of like the civilian 18 Delta. He's doing dentistry out there. He's doing trauma. He's doing GP stuff. So thank you for the pimp. Uh, Demps, thank Kurt because that was phenomenal. Um, so yes, solattack.com. He's making literally the best IFACs that money can buy. And when I say that, I mean, he's not gouging prices. You guys take a look. You guys can go take, I'm not going to say brands, but you guys can take a look at all these other brands that are charging $170 for a freaking bleeder kit. That's insanity. And it's all crap too. It charged like 170 bucks for like stuff you get at CVS. No, get the real stuff. Get the stuff that Kurt and I, when we were rolling and we were doing way cooler things than we're doing now, we were rolling out with Demps is he's gonna he's gonna provide he's gonna provide that to you and Mrs. Demps is sewing up some really sweet kits so you can throw that in your boogaloo kit you can throw that in your car you can throw it wherever you want Kurt my man thank you for reminding me what would I do without you I'm just over here doing my thing oh me, man me and the cats are doing our thing hell yeah all right. Well, Kurt, I'm not going to keep you much longer. Thank you so much. This, this was a great opportunity to see the other side of, of kind of that world. Uh, it's a side we don't see a lot of. Um, you know, I have plenty, I got plenty of Leos following me who follow this podcast. Uh, so it, it's, it, you know, I, I heard an opportunity to, to represent them. I jumped on it and you did not disappoint. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you've done. And, uh, Hopefully, you know, down the road, you ever want, I always extend the offer to all my guests because I have such a good time with them. You ever want to talk anything? Come on, just let me know. I'll give you a platform. We need to laugh. We need to yap about leadership at some point. All right, we'll talk, you know, let's do that. You know, let's, let's, uh, we'll do, and we'll do an episode all about leadership. Okay, cool. Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll get down the books. Kurt, thanks so much, brother. All right, man. Take care. Take it easy.